Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is Rick Sweet. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 397th show is Dr. Jamie Kreiner. Associate Professor of History at the University of Georgia, who will be talking to us about her article, How to Reduce Digital Distraction, Advice from Medieval Monks. Our history buff is Carrie Tonkler. Carrie, you get to start us off once again. Thank you. Yeah, as we were talking about um, medieval monks and needing to focus and being distracted, uh, it came to mind the uh, 9th century Irish poem about Panger Ban, uh, a little cat and his monk, and that was written in the margins or perhaps on the back of a ecclesiastical manuscript. And I wondered, my imagination is that he probably got distracted after trying to uh, work all day. So in your research about medieval monks, did you find anything that really surprised you or you found absolutely delightful that you would like to share? Um I think that, I mean, that's also a great poem, by the way. Um, it's it's very charming. Um, I think one of the most surprising things is how geographically widespread these issues seem to be. Um, I was trained um, primarily in the Latin West, but the more that I read um, about the southern and eastern Mediterranean, Mesopotamia, and, the, um, and western Iran, it was clear that um, monks of many different traditions were having the same issues and were involved in the same kinds of conversations about how to tackle it. Even if they didn't share the same conclusions, this was just a very widespread issue uh, for hundreds of years. Um, it was a, a live question, really, um, and that was really cool. Um, it's also just been a pleasure to read texts that you know are 1,500 years old or so where um, there seems to be I mean, as a historian, you're always trained not to assume that you have everything in common with your subjects. But um, for that reason, when you do seem to come across a concern that resonates so uh, in such a familiar way, that's a really cool feeling as a historian, too, to say, um, to see that, you know, monks, for example, worrying about, you know, can we over worry about distraction? Does that create its own kinds of obsessions? And, you know, are we overthinking thinking? Um, it was, it, it's sort of a delight to see them hash out these problems so thoroughly. <laughs> sure. Rick. I was just thinking that, uh, you know, the article was about advice from medieval monks. What are the uh, in your mind, Jamie, the the uh, number one and number two advice you would uh, um, uh, bring forth from medieval monks? Um, top pieces of advice. So, the, like, what would translate best, I guess I should say, because um, there are certain things that were just sine qua non of being a monk that we wouldn't do now, like... Um, uh, don't sleep that often and restrict your food intake. I don't think people are willing to do that. Um, I would say um, the first thing to do would be to be attentive to your own thinking. Um, this was a really common strategy that monks advised. Just start being aware of where your thinking is going. Create sort of an internalized process of self-monitoring where it doesn't start off by 
you jumping in to solve it, you're just sort of watching where your thoughts go. Um, and then a second method that monks had that was um, ubiquitous was um, a technique that they called discernment, which had it was a really technical word that was to try to um, detect where your thought came from. And even though monks had a really different sense of psychology in this regard, they thought that thoughts could come not only from yourself, but from God or from demons. The point of discernment was to figure out who had sent the thought into you. <laughs> but but it, it, at, at its root, it was asking, what is the purpose of this thought? What kinds of ideas is this thought generating when it comes to me? Um, what should I do with it? Um, they're really basic techniques that I think can be really helpful. Just being aware of when your attention shifts and asking, is this worthy of my attention right now, or should I just discard it? Um, really sure. basic, but accessible to anybody. Okay. Um, Jamie, I have kind of a two-part question here. Um, the first one, simply because uh, I'm, I'm also a, uh, a therapist, family therapist, uh, and I'm, as a working with gifted kids, and so uh, ADHD and ADD are commonly misdiagnosed um, issues. You know that that kids who are gifted get sort of tagged with, um, and so a lot of behavioral therapy is being done. You know, becoming aware of the body and the the signs that I'm starting to sort of cycle up. And so my first question is, do you, in your studies, have you found anything that's sort of equivalent to that, of that sort of that physical awareness of what's going on? And these are the triggers that lead, you know, that indicate that I'm starting to, to sort of lose my focus. Um, and then my second question, uh, I think we tend to forget that monastic uh, life was a social life. Uh, in most cases. So are, do the monks have some sort of the equivalent of group therapy sorts of things going on to help with distraction where they're sort of working with each other and, and trying to sort of uh, pull each other out of being distracted or help each other focus better? Um, so um, what do you think about those? Well, the historian Inbar Graver has done really cool work where she um, – really did her reading on contemporary psychology and compared it against Monk's own psychological theories and found that in some regards there are real um, similarities, even if their diagnoses are different, even if their ways of explaining things are different, um, they can be equally sophisticated in their attention to very similar um, problems. Um, so I guess I would I say that as a way to preface the idea that um, monks wouldn't have had um, similar concepts as we do today of something like ADHD, but they definitely did recognize that um, certain situations were likely to, like you said, trigger um, cognitive uh danger zones that they needed to be really alert to. So one common thing that they believed was that um, overeating was the source of a million mental problems. Um, basically, if your stomach was full, your mind would get kind of lazy and inattentive, and it would wander off and start doing 
um, really kind of dangerous, devious things, thinking of things you really shouldn't have been thinking about, sex in particular. And this kind of multiplied when you were sleeping because you couldn't be as vigilant. Um, so, yeah, they had they had a, a kind of range of suggestions for, you know, danger zones where you really should make sure that you don't put yourself in such a position as to compromise your attention in the first place. Um, as far as social solutions go, yeah, I, a lot of monks were really strong believers in the power of a community to really help a monk through his or her difficulties. Um, and the techniques ranged from you know, having a, a supervisor um, where you kind of, you know, it wasn't necessarily that they were just a disciplinarian. They were also a mentor and a consultant. So you would share your thoughts with them regularly in a way that we today would recognize as being something similar to therapy um, or, or education at the same time um, because your mentor was also supposed to help you figure out how to um, deal with your own thoughts more effectively. Um, but also... Um, in a less hierarchical way, just being part of a community where everyone's um, working and praying and going to services and eating and sleeping on the same schedule. Um, a lot of monks believe that this was really important for um, kind of keeping, developing a sort of stability where, you know, you saw everyone doing the same things. And even if you didn't feel motivated, you would do it because there was a kind of group spirit behind it. Um, and, you know, the, like everything else, there were a bunch of disagreements about whether that was really the best solution or not. But there were a lot of monks who thought, yeah, there was, there's a real sociology to, to thinking, that thinking isn't just an individual um, issue. You, you, your thoughts are shaped by whole communities that are around you. Okay. Um, Terry, I think we're going to give you the last question. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to actually bring the topic to music in the monastery. Um, I think about the beautiful Gregorian chants, you know, that we hear. And how did music help with focusing the mind uh, for the medieval monks? Well, monks had a lot of uh, very strong opinions about music. Um, it could be good and it could be bad. I guess that's true of basically everything we've talked about tonight. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but... But certain songs were um, had kind of an explosive potential to be really distracting. This tended to be like popular music um, that you know either monks had learned in childhood or heard as they were working in a monastery by you know as people were passing by and singing. Um, and on the flip side, um, good music could do a couple of things. First of all, if you were singing in unison, it could get you and your community on the same page and kind of amplify that sort of. Um, social support that um, we were talking about earlier. Um, singing also was a way to um, kind of elevate the mind up to God. It was sort of a, an extension of the principle that if you were reading good stuff, um, that could align your, basically your mouth with their, your heart, they liked to say. So your body is, is internalizing um, texts that your mind then picks up as second nature, and singing could do that, too, um, that you're sort of not just wholeheartedly, but like your whole self becomes a participant in this, um, in this single idea. So, you know, what's, what's more focused than that, than putting your whole self into something? Unfortunately, we don't have um, musical notation in the early Middle Ages, um, at least not till the very end of the 
period in the 10th century. So we don't we don't know what their music would have sounded like, but we know it was often very musical, especially in the Syriac speaking world where basically everything they wrote was a metrical versified kind of text. All right. Well, you know, we could do this. We can continue for another half hour, but we probably should wrap things up. So we would like to thank our guests for this 397th show, Dr. Jamie Craner, Associate Professor of History at the University of Georgia, who talked to us about how to reduce digital distraction, advice from medieval monks. The history buff for today's show was Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.